Hello. Another week, another appearance by the Director-General Tim Davey in front of the House of Commons Public Accounts Committee, where he expressed support for local radio, but did not row back on any of the recent changes, which have seen a much greater emphasis on digital. Unsurprisingly, he was not happy with the below-than-expected rise to the licence fee, but nonetheless mightily relieved that the BBC has a guaranteed income, as opposed to other public service broadcasters who are reliant on ad revenue, which is plummeting. They are currently experiencing the worst advertising downturn since 2008 and having to implement significant job cuts. Also this week, BBC Scotland announced changes to its news and current affairs services, which includes cutting The Nine, the one-hour news programme long demanded by the SNP and some Scottish broadcasters, which has had dire viewing figures. A new half-hour programme will be broadcast at 7pm on the BBC Scotland channel. There's already a news bulletin at this time, The Seven, which reaches only 8,000 a week. Good luck. On this week's podcast, we're delving into the media bill a little more, which is back in front of the Lords next week for its second reading. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I do think the future of religious and ethical broadcasting is at stake, and that, if passed unamended, the media bill could seriously damage the provision of arts and science programming, among much else. So I'm delighted to be joined by Anna McNamee, an award-winning Canadian journalist and writer, with a background in BBC Radio. And she's also the Executive Director of the Sandford St. Martin Trust, which promotes excellence in religious broadcasting. Anna McNamee, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Some people might think a religious programme must involve men in funny hats standing in front of big buildings. Uh, That's not how you at the Sandford St. Martin Trust interpret a religious programme, is it? Well, no, not that we have anything against people of funny hats standing in front of big buildings. I mean, you know, they're, they're quite picturesque. But having said that, religious broadcasting is quite complex and it is quite nuanced. And I think um, for us, uh, OK, let's look at it this way. So religious broadcasting, religious programming can do three things, I think. For people who already have belief or have religion, it can provide them nourishment and give them a sense of community. Uh, for those with an interest in faith or in religion or in belief, it can provide a, it can model dialogue, it can provide information, it can provide an opportunity for communication. But for everyone else, whether they have belief or not, it's basically a way to explore how the majority of the world see their place in the world and to understand our rich history culture, I'm talking world history, world culture, as well as our our British history and our British culture, and how religion has impacted on our lives, as well as how our lives have impacted on religion or our experience. So you believe that it's an essential thing for people to understand with or without faith, that to understand the world, to understand this country, understand different communities here, this is central. Absolutely. We believe that religious literacy is an absolute core cultural um, skill. You need to, you have to have this competency. It's a civic and cultural competency. Now, since uh, we were founded, I think in uh, 1978, you've had the awards, which are the premium awards. And some of those awards might surprise, or rather the people who won them might surprise the audience. For example, just recently, I think the last award, you gained Jimmy McGovern, the wonderful writer uh, from Liverpool, an award. Why did, why did you do that? What had he done? Because yeah, I can't associate him with a, a pilgrimage or anything like that. 
So again, this is, uh, well, Jimmy McGovern. Now, Jimmy McGovern, obviously, uh, you know, grew up in, in Liverpool in a family that actually had religion, so to speak. I, I think they were Catholic. Um, they, uh, they grew out of it. Jimmy grew out of it. And I don't think he considers himself as religious now at all, but he still says that he has an incredible interest in how religion and how the, the, the value system that he grew up with has impacted the choices people made. So if you look back a few years to his, and this is very blatant example to uh, the series he did called Broken, uh, starring Sean Bean, which is about a Catholic priest working in an impoverished community in Liverpool and the relationships he has with his community, their relationship with the church, but also how it impacts his sense of morality and how it's it's a great drama, an absolute fantastic story. And this is a really good example of why religious broadcasting matters. I mean, it's an opportunity to explore the world through a different prism, somebody else's prism, and understand how they are coming to the decisions they they come to. So that's just one is that part in part because when uh, most television certainly obviously is visual talks about things that have happened or are happening in front of your eyes um they don't it's finds it more difficult to talk about things that are in your head which aren't observable and therefore it means that programs about spirituality and about the meaning of life how we should behave whatever are are quite difficult to make when you could always, instead, you can make a drama about a hospital or you can make a drama about crime or whatever. Do you think what's happened in part is that the so-called religion and ethics program area has been become one of those few places where people can think and have an opportunity to pause and you don't have to rush on and to ask perhaps the deeper questions that religion asks, even if you don't accept religion's answers? Well, I think those deeper questions are at the heart of any good story, to be blunt. Any really good story has those issues at the heart of it. I, I, I'm really struggling to think of anything um, where, I mean, even if you take something as, no, I'm not suggesting that Love Island is religious programming in any respect, but the dilemmas that those characters are experiencing have to do with their view of the world, their ethics. And those ethics come out of somewhere. So where do they come out of? I mean, you know, it's it's really whether or not you want to look for it, I think, and how we express, which brings us to a bigger question, which we'll probably talk about, which is what is the point of public service broadcasting? And in terms of, let's say, Muslim communities in this country, um, I mean, we've. I know in the past, you and I actually together have often tried to to enthuse members of the very different Muslim communities about being involved in making programs and so on. But it strikes me there's a massive ignorance among the general population about Islam for a start and about how people and where people live and think. And the danger of that ignorance is that Muslims themselves think that the wider society has no interest in them, so that inevitably encourages those who want to say, let us remain separate. I mean, and if we don't believe that society should be a number of separate communities and has to be a coming together somewhere, we have to understand what people care about most, don't we? Absolutely. Well, as you say, you and I have spoken about this before, and, and it's not just uh, sort of, you know, um, the Muslim community in the UK who often feel othered by broadcasters or broadcasting. I mean, it is essentially you know, any so-called minority religion or minority belief group. Um, it's, that's, that's not an unusual thing at all. And as broadcasting, because of its reach, to, to be blunt, should be reaching out to 
all of the communities. And that's what public service broadcasting, again, coming back to what public service broadcasting is for. That is what public service broadcasting is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about serving the whole of the UK, the entirety. So all these different communities and reflecting them back to themselves. And to and to those who know nothing about them, because one of the things that strikes Absolutely. me is that we're obviously seeing the immense potential of digital broadcasting to reach small groups that haven't been reached before. The danger of that is that you get echo chambers, just as, you know, when we used to buy our local newspaper, we tended to buy the newspaper that reinforced our views, so we weren't challenged. So the danger was some digital uh, station, you, you choose the one that won't challenge you and then will reassure you, and sometimes you shouldn't be reassured. Absolutely. And we live in a world which at the moment is filled with silos. Um, you know, if you look back at, uh, well, just look over the pond to the United States, what's going on with politics there. And you can see the dangers of what happens when one constituency does not speak to, understand or communicate with the other. And you end up with essentially chaos. I mean, it's a danger to society. It's a danger to what I think of as democracy or democracy generally. Now, I want to talk to you about the new media bill, which is coming into the Lords in uh, next week, I think the 28th of February, and, and concerns about that. But just before uh, that, I would like to talk to you about what's happened in the last 10, 12 years in terms of broadcasting and religious programming. Because if you look at the statistics issued by Ofcom, I take that we can rely upon, they show, show for example, that... Uh, um, Channel 4 has gone from delivering 39 hours to zero in that period, well, from 2010, 2022. Uh, Channel 4 from 13 hours to zero. ITV from five hours to one. The BBC 2 is stable, well, 46 to 43 hours. BBC 1 down about a quarter. So across the board, we've had this massive reduction in programming. And I wonder whether or not that is partly a failure of commissioning editors and those who run broadcasting to understand the appetite for this sort of programming. You could say, oh, well, you know, it's a problem of they're not making coming up with interesting enough ideas. I don't believe that. I do believe that quite a number of commissioning editors, given their background attitudes, are relatively ignorant of the potential of religious programming. I don't You have to be more tactful than I am, but do you agree with any of that? <laughs> Um, I think that what we have essentially is a failure in imagination. Um, you're talking about the decline. In terms of Ofcom and its statistics, the decline is actually longer than the last 10 years. The decline has been going on since 2004. Um, so just shortly after the 2003 Communications Act, which is what the media bill, which we'll be talking about later, will be replacing, uh, came into being. And it, it basically, the, 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 the slump, if you want to put it that way, began when ITV lobbied Ofcom to have its religion and arts quotas removed because they said that essentially they weren't commercial enough. They weren't able to sell the advertising and that if they left and they didn't make this kind of programming, it would be taken up by new entrants into the digital space, but also the other public service broadcasters. So they didn't need to make religion because religion programming would be made by other broadcasters. And that's because they had such a narrow view of what it was. Exactly. And that's exactly it. It's a very narrow view. So when I say lack of imagination, I mean, ITV makes Grantchester. Now, Grantchester is not, it's, it's no, not men in hats in front of old buildings, what we were talking about before. But 
it's based on the series of books by James Runsey, who also, I think, certainly worked on the scripts for the early ones, who was the son of the Archbishop of Canterbury, who has said in interviews that it was his father's moral dilemmas after the war which informed the formation of this character. Um, I can't remember the name of the priest who's at the heart of Grandchester, but basically the James, the James Norton character. And that this is what drove this story. And it's a great story. It's still, it's popular. I don't know how many seasons in now we are. I think probably we're in season eight and it's still running. There is an appetite on ITV for a kind of religious programming, but they would never call it that because there is a kind of allergy to using the word. People are worried that they say religion and people think holier than thou, proselytizing, and a very specific, well, men in big hats in front of old buildings. And, of course, they're not allowed to proselytize by, by broadcasting regulation. That, that, that doesn't exactly. happen in this country. It does, of course, happen across the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, but just turning to, to, to the question of quotas, which, again, is something that you talk to people. Uh, Roger Mosey, who I've talked about uh, a few times on this podcast, he's very wary, doesn't like quotas, think they restrict creativity. And I can see that argument. But I can also see the argument, and you're also a program maker, and I wonder whether you agree about this, is that... When you're pitching, you want, to, you want to get a job. You want to have your company stay alive. In the end, you pitch what the commissioning editors want. If they don't say, I want a certain sort of program, you will try and persuade them. But at the end, you will deliver the programs that they are prepared to commission. And if you don't have quotas, then I think a lot of people, commissioning editors, uh, don't, you know, don't, don't say, for example, I'm not sure I want, but anyway, there's really good independents out there or whatever. We need something in this area. What ideas have you got? And there are a lot of independents out there who think, wow, yeah, I wanted to do this for a long time. I've got this story. And it would have been a story that commissioning editor would never have thought of or heard of, but suddenly realized it has potential. So quotas at their best can make people go and look for stories which aren't that obvious, but actually when commissioned work very well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and obviously there are guidelines. All, all commissioners have guidelines. And as a program maker, as a, as a producer myself, I, you know, who likes rules? You want to be able to, you know, you want to be able to do what you want to do. And that is essentially, I think, the situation that we are in now with this new legislation, with the, with the media bill is we've got the broadcasters are saying, Oh, you know, trust us. Let us do what we want to do. We don't eat quotas because, of course, we're going to do what's best for society. Of course, we have all these same values that you do. Forgetting the fact that, you know, frankly, if it's not on paper, it's not just people who are making programs will come in to pitch. It's nobody knows what the rules are. Nobody knows what the framework is. Nobody knows what the guidelines are. And this guideline has to last, what, 10, 20, 30 years. And if you say trust them, you have to say, well, one of the things you do when you're deciding whether to trust anybody is look at the record. And the record of the last few years uh, is not great. And the other thing in terms of the BBC, which I find rather difficult, is this. And I appreciate the BBC has lost over 30% of it, the value of the license fee over the last 10 years and has real difficulties and is dealing with that. But if you were to say, who would you go to? to discuss strategy for religious programming across television, across radio, across online. Where's the person whose job is to take, if you like, a strategy document, such as the one the BBC produced, I think, four years ago, and see it's implemented? The answer is nobody, or rather the director of content who is responsible for everything. Now, the same applies to science, as I understand it. The same applies to arts and elsewhere. So at the top, my view, is there's a strategic hole 
that you know the BBC is doing wonderfully well, but the, in, in, with, in very difficult circumstances. But there aren't, there isn't a discussion at the very top about what should we do on the whole in religion. There's a very good commissioning editor in television. There's a, a, a good team in radio doing their best. There's a religion editor in news doing his best, not very well supported in terms of numbers of people at all, actually about half a producer, I think. Overall, though, nobody you can go to, let's discuss strategy with. And I wonder whether you think that's also a weakness. You see, the person who wrote four years ago the document that you and I contributed to and lobbied for and with Sanford St. Martin is a very nice guy, write a beautiful piece of work and left after two years. There was no money attached. There was no... No airtime attached, and nobody was given the responsibility of implementing it. So it's a nice policy, but it's presumably stuck in a, I don't know where it is, but doesn't seem to be very evident at the moment. Now, is that a very partisan view from me to put? Uh, I suspect it's possibly slightly partisan. Having uh, having said that, I mean, it's, you know, as, as you said, I mean, broadcasters generally and the BBC, I mean, it's not just the BBC, Channel 4 also, obviously, having, you know, really um, very... Uh, very deep existentialist uh, discussions now about what happens with the future. We are living in a different world. And I think our traditional broadcasters are having quite a tough time seeing their way through. What's going to happen next? Well, they've got both ITB, well, Chad for the uh, got a 50%, I think, drop in advertising revenue. Exactly. And they don't know, they don't know where it's going to stop because one of the things that's happening is things like Amazon Prime Video and so on. And other organizations like that are just sucking up the advertising because they can target, they can go to advertisers and say, we can tell you exactly who you want and we'll get to them. Exactly. Whereas a broadcaster has to say, well, we'll scatter the scatter it and there will be people who pick it up who are interested. Exactly. Which brings us back to that bigger question. What is public service broadcasting for? What do we want? Um, but, you know, having said that, bringing it back to the BBC and, and having conversations with, you know, I, I really do feel that um, they are between a rock and a hard place, as are most of our broadcasters at the moment. Now, I do not feel that the the I I found on the whole that people are quite approachable, that you can have a conversation. People, good program makers are interested in good content, and this kind of content is good. It you know Ofcom studies at the same time that they're showing that there's been a decline in religious broadcasting, religious and actually they call it religion and ethics, don't they? Taking the term from the BBC, which just goes to show how important the BBC is as a provider. While there has been this decline in the actual amount or the number of hours that have been made, in terms of audience demand, it's gone up. And if um, Ofcom did a, a study a couple of years ago where they actually talked to audiences about their relationship with public service broadcasters, and the one thing that came absolutely crystal clear through across all the generations is that UK audience still very much depends on and trusts its public service broadcasters to give it this kind of quality content. Now, in a world of Amazon and Netflix and TikTok and YouTube, that is absolutely critical. And audiences say they want religion. They want to know whether they have religion themselves or not. They want to know what is impacting, why, how the world works. And you only have to look at the news today, open up the front page of any newspaper or look online at a website and you'll see why People are interested in religion. Well, and 
Gaza, of course, and Israel anyway. Uh, but let's look then at this, this new media bill, which is, has been through the Commons. It's going into the Lords. It's, I think, have been debated on February the 28th, next week. And there are two seem to in the yeah, there are a lot of things in that bill which which everybody would agree upon and are necessary and including giving public service broadcasters prominence. That is to say, you know, when 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 they, they people want to find their programs. But in two areas, there's a considerable worry. The first area is that the bill does not specifically mention any of the traditional public service broadcasting areas other than news and children's. So there's no mention at all of religion, no mention of the arts, no mention of science. And the second thing which worries a great deal of people is, uh, people, is that it's um, Ofcom is going to be, shall we say, relieved the responsibility on reporting what the broadcasters have done in this area. The only reason we could talk earlier about this decline is because Ofcom published those figures. In the future, if the bill is unamended, they won't have to. Now, I find this baffling. Uh, and Ofcom then say, don't worry, we will continue to, yeah, uh, it, to measure things. Yeah, it is. It's things. absolutely but, but baffling. why would they not want the powers to do so uh, or the obligation to do so if they're going to do I don't know. Well, I mean, is, is it as serious as, as, as I think it is? Well, you know, it depends on how cynical you are, aren't you? And I am actually quite cynical. I don't know if I'm as cynical as you, um, but I am quite cynical. And I think the the... It, it is a massive, this is a massive piece of legislation. I mean, I can't remember, you know, it took me literally two days to read through it. And it is incredibly complicated. And you would have thought, given how big it is, that it would have a little bit, bit more room in there for actually talking about what PSB is. And it's exactly as you said, um, they, they've taken the 2003 Communications Act, which specified specific genres, including religion, including the arts, including history, including science, including children's and education. And that's been lifted entirely out of this new document. Now, why has that happened? I mean, to be blunt, my interpretation, uh, the, the way that I would read it, is that this is a bill that has been made. This is legislation which is made for commercial broadcasters. It has commerciality at its heart. It's about leaving enough, not even a little bit of wriggle room, but loads of space so that broadcasters can respond and do whatever they want. And you can have this vibe. The broadcast, the creative community in this, the creative sector in this country is absolutely, is incredibly important. Nobody's going to argue that. But so is that, that that commercial sector, all those commercial channels, all those those smaller companies or larger companies which are doing very well in the United States or China or wherever making content have their roots in our very, very rich, very, very solid public service broadcasting. So I know you and San Francisco Martin are pushing very hard to, to get the bill amended in this way. Absolutely. And you also got you also got to set up the Belief Matters petition. Can you tell me about that? What's that aiming to do? Well, as I said before, you know, the, the media bill is a, is a massive piece of legislation and, um, it replaces the 2003 Communications Act, which means that, you know, I think we need to expect it to be in place for at least 10, 20 years in the same way. Um, and it sets out the legislative framework for how all our broadcasting is going to be regulated until we don't know how, when. So for that reason, it's, it's really important. And yet hardly anybody knows about it. And I'm, constantly surprised by how even, you know, people who are high up in comms in different faith communities don't know 
about the media bill and the implications of the media bill for what will be happening to broadcasting in this country. So if they want, if people want to sign that, that petition, I, I've already signed it, deli- delighted you. to do so. How do they find, just go to your website? You can go to the sanfordawards.org.uk website and right on the front page, there is a click through. You'll see the banner at the top or you can go to change.org hashtag belief matters and you can find it there. Um, and, and, you know, we are hoping to get as many signatures as possible to that. So by the time that the actual bill gets to the House of Lords, our legislators will understand that we are watching and we value it. And if anybody listening wants to check on the statistics we've been talking about Ofcom, the Religion Media Centre, if you go to their website, has a very good background uh, piece of uh, analysis on it. And the centre is a charity and is objective, but it obviously believes in the value of such programming. The one final thing I wanted to pick up with you is is this digital question, which is there's no question, uh, there is no question about the direction in which we're all going. But there remains stubbingly in this country a significant into the millions of people who don't have access to the Internet. And some people may not believe that, but time and time again, uh, reports from Parliament say that's true. So if you give the programme makers much more flexibility to switch programmes to digital only, which the BBC is, is, is wanting to do in certain areas, you are switching off the programmes for some well, certainly a million and a half of people. So the speed at which, so the, uh, central to the idea of public service broadcasting is that it's available to the public, to everybody. Until you solve the problem of ensuring that everybody has access to the internet, surely one has to be very careful about switching entirely for public service broadcast, which is entirely some programming to digital, which appears to be about to happen. Yeah, I can't argue against that at all. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, there's, we can't hold back the tide, right? You know, things are moving in that direction. Um, you know, ironically, I was having a conversation just yesterday with somebody who works in print uh, magazines, and they were saying to me, you know, th- that they were at a meeting that morning, and one of their colleagues was sitting there with their head in their hand saying, it's over, it's over, because everything now, even in print, it, despite the fact that, you know, magazines continue to sell and, you know, people, the circulation numbers haven't gone hugely down, the push where the, where the commercial interest is, is on digital and online. That's going to affect our broadcasters as well. And all these worlds are coming together. Our media landscape is, is definitely changing and we can't hold that back. But it is, as you say, is the speed of which this happens. We might not be able to impact the speed, but we can impact the people who are left on the side of the road. And that is what this legislation really needs to do is to make sure that broadcasting, good broadcasting, remains accessible to everyone. We all, through our license fee or, you know, we all pay for it. We all benefit from it. Anna McNamee, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Roger. Our thanks to Anna McNamee of the Sandford St. Martin Trust. And remember, all our paid members will receive the podcast almost a week in advance. So if you want to hear it first and receive my weekly blog, please sign up now to patreon.com forward slash Beebwatch. It's only £1.99 per month. You can also find the link in the description of this programme. And that's it for this week. As you know, this podcast is presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it's produced by Kate Dixon. The sound is by Dave Kitto. And special thanks to Quinn Genty. It's a Good Egg production. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>